0: From the top of the charts to the dusty $1 bin and everything in between, it's time for another review on Life to Labyrinth. All right. Episode two, technically. Or no. Is this
1: two? Yeah,
0: this is two. This is two. Yeah.
1: I don't have them all edited yet, so uh, I'm starting to run out of... (laughs) No, because I did the same thing. We've got the teaser... Which was Eliza, and then we did. Um, who did we do last? <laughs> oh, actually, this the Rex. Yeah, then the Rex. Now we're doing Piper at the Gates of Dawn. So this is the second full episode. Yep.
0: The first one we've done that's not a EP though. Yeah, because the Rex was uh, wasn't that
1: many songs either. Yeah, I know. I should have double-checked that before, but I just, man, I just really okay. like that album. <laughs> hey, No problem. Okay, the next one I'm thinking has got 13, so it's a full album. <laughs> all right, all right. Cool, cool. Yeah.
0: Well, we'll discuss that, I guess, at the end. Yeah. Um, so, for this album, Pink Floyd's first release, Piper, The Gates of Dawn, came out in August of 1967. It was recorded between February and May of that year. From what I could gather from the research I was doing and the stuff i learned about this band over the years is that uh, some of the songs were actually written years before this, like especially. Oh, that's cool. It was written as far back, I think, as like 1966. Some of these were really old songs. So this wouldn't have been the first sort of exposure that people would have had to this band. This was just their first album because they released a bunch of singles ahead of this.
1: Yeah, I'd seen that when I, when I looked up a bit about the band. Notice that yeah, they kind of they garnered quite a bit of attention with singles first before they dropped this album.
0: Yep, yeah, and the singles didn't get played in concert very much, which I think is interesting. Probably their most well-known one is "See Emily Play," and I'm not sure if they actually did ever perform it properly, like with Sid. Yeah,
1: see, and that's another thing too. Is even just like kind of cursory information. There's a lot of songs that didn't get formally performed until after Sid was gone. And there was, I guess there were some music videos they shot where his, I can't remember the name, <laughs> scold me for it later. His replacement essentially lip synced over his vocals because they couldn't alter the sound, but Sid wasn't around anymore.
0: Yeah. That's David Gilmore. That's it. Yes. yes. <laughs> Figured you'd
1: know right away. <laughs> <laughs> He's
0: kind of a big deal. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, and, and even at one point before the, they called it a day with him, Um, Which apparently they never did officially. They just didn't pick him up one day. Really? Apparently he was living with the keyboard player, Rick Wright, at the time. And Rick just said, I'm going out to get cigarettes. Went and performed a gig, came back like hours later and said was like, Did you get the cigarettes?
1: Holy shit.
0: <laughs> and so it was sort of this like slow fade out of him being out of the band. They sort of first removed him from live performance and then he eventually got phased out in terms of recording. But it was mostly because he just wasn't reliable. And I don't know if you listened to anything more than just this album. I
1: popped in a couple singles after i gave the album a good two three lessons i listened to one of the ones you you texted me about too mm-hmm. to ample like to really solidify how british <laughs> sid barrett was and yeah <laughs>
0: uh, is it apples and oranges or candy and a currant bun uh candy and a currant bun it's a good tune but it's very british very british <laughs>
1: um and i imagine too like you had said with the ramp up of his like mental health issues i imagine it was shitty to not like formally take him out of the band but it was i imagine their attempt to not make him any worse or even less mentally sound than he was yeah and i think also it just shows sort of a it speaks to
0: the way mental health was handled at the time it speaks to the fact that they were very young they didn't have the life experience to deal with yeah that's whether he was mentally ill or not i think is is really a a debate it's never going to be settled but he was definitely suffering from mental decline at that point. So. I I don't know. It's, I mean, it was, you know, 1969, I think, when he officially was no longer in the band. You know, like, mental health is still not something that's handled very well in our society. And I suspect British society is... Somewhat behind us still with the whole stiff upper lip and, you know, carry on attitude.
1: And- oh, absolutely. I mean, I've been back in Canada for what, 14, 15 years now. And even when we were there, it, it's an absolute disaster as far as mental health goes. Like they just, when we were there, they had almost no programs. It was very much a, yeah, stiff upper lip, keep it to yourself. I mean, we always used to joke that the British military, when my dad served, they're debriefing after they had been on tour was they would literally just lock a bunch of guys in a room with several flats of beer. Mm -hmm. And the idea was they would just get drunk and kick the crap out of each other. And that was how they were going to (laughs) decompress. So yeah, it's not surprising that, you know, 40, 45 years prior to that, There weren't exactly any you know good systems in place yeah
0: they apparently got him to see a couple of doctors and i think the fable goes is they got him to see somebody and the doctor went in like explained all of his symptoms to him or something like that and he said but are you sure this is sid's problem i don't know it's it's gonna be one of those never-ending rock fables of what truly went on with him because the the people who were around him at the time have one story his family who lived you know spent the rest of his life with him has another thought on the matter He was never formally diagnosed with anything, and it was pretty, you know, it's it's well documented that the people he was living with were, like, spiking his tea with acid, so he was, like, tripping constantly, and so it's like, did this man have mental health issues, or was he just so fucked by the people who were around him that kept, like, stuffing drugs down his throat, whether he wanted them or
1: not? Yeah, yeah, and I mean, like, right, realistically, at the end of the day, it's just, it's still just a sad story, like, regardless of the cause... You had said, really, like, if you go and look at it, you can kind of see the decline of whatever external factors was causing it. You could see the decline of this extremely. And honestly, even after just one listen to this album, I'm confident to say an extremely talented musician, like an extremely talented person. Oh, yeah,
0: absolutely. Just, uh, you know, it just when you and on the few interviews that exist of him when you see him talk you know he's very bright and and on it and he seemed very kind you know there's not too many interviews where he's doing a whole lot of talking but there's a couple and um you know he just He's very quiet spoken. He just really seemed very thoughtful and and all of that. And that even translated to the way he sang. Um, When I was reading about how they recorded this album, apparently uh, he had to perform in a vocal isolation booth because he sang so quietly, which I guess was fairly uncommon in those days. Yeah. I was gonna say,
1: holy shit, (laughs) that's insane. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know. It's just, it's a really sad story. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm glad he got, he got the time he did. It's just, it'll always, I think, right. It's going to be one of those things. It'll always be what, could have been yeah
0: he's one of the great what is
1: stories of rock and roll yeah 100 100
0: but um so this was my suggestion so i've heard this album i bought this album because i got really interested in him back in i'd say probably like 2005 2006 I started to really get into Pink Floyd because a buddy of mine in college um, was a big Pink Floyd fan and his dad was a big Pink Floyd fan. So, you know, I, I started watching like documentaries about him and I started listening. Like it was very early days of YouTube. There was some stuff out there. I downloaded some stuff. I don't know if it would have been Napster in those days, but it was probably Torrance or something like that. But,
1: yeah. <laughs> Napster or Livewire. Yeah. Or yeah. Wire, whatever yeah. What it was called.
0: Huzzah. <laughs> <laughs> so And then eventually, I went out and bought the CD. I I remember listening to the CD a few times, kind of just in the car, which is where I kind of do most of my music listening, if I'm honest, until we started this project. And now I'm sort of listening to music a lot more to try and experience the albums we're listening to in different ways. So I'd heard all of these songs at least a few times, but I didn't remember them all. And for me, this was a, a fun discovery of actually finding what my favorite song on the album is and... Just kind of going on the journey, of listening to it over and over again, it's just to kind of get the whole picture of it. Because I don't know how you go about listening to the albums that we do for this, but I take um, I take a very Mr. Holland's Opus approach, where, you know, when he was told to that, you know, someone told him that he'd really like um, oh god, no, I can't remember. <laughs> Hang on, Googling madly.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you're doing that. Like, I'll throw. And we kind of discussed briefly that Pink Floyd had really been one of those. I knew I should have, but I never got around to it. I was actually really excited after you kind of started talking up, you know, this, this album and the band. And like, as far as how I listen to the music, typically I would have, yeah, I would have done 99% of my listening in the car. But yeah, with this project I've taken, I've made a point to really listen to like, make sure I listen to it on headphones, make sure I listen to it in like, you know, in stereo in a big room and then in the the car and just kind of train myself to pick out those little like nuances you see between the different formats. Mm -hmm. And I'll say this album, Um, And I think it was Interstellar Overdrive was the one listening to it on headphones is like a completely different experience.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. It was the only way I could enjoy that song actually was listening to it on headphones so I could hear every instrument kind of uniquely. Yeah, that's the
1: thing is like everything really shines through so differently. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The individual I meant was John Coltrane, by the way. I don't know if you've seen, have you seen Mr. Holland's opus? Yeah. Okay. Well, he gives someone, he's like, someone told me to listen to John Coltrane and I put it on and I hated it and I listened to it again and I hated it. He's like, and I played it again and again, and then I couldn't stop playing it. So with this project, I'm really trying to take an attitude of like, I have to listen to these albums over and over in different ways because it's just so easy to put something on listen to it a couple of times be like none of this speaks to me I don't like it and uh and yeah I think it's it does the music a disservice unless you try it in different ways so it's I really really think it's funny that you found interstellar overdrive sort of clicked for you on headphones cuz I was exactly the same way
1: Yeah I don't know I just like you said I think it's just you really feel the different kind of levels of all the instruments and I mean, it being a 10-minute long song, it's way easier to stay engaged when it's in headphones kind of right in your ears and you're that's you're focused on it. Because mm-hmm. it was that was for sure one of the few tracks that occasionally... Like, the first time I listened to it, I just threw down on the car while I was doing errands. And like, halfway through it, I was like, okay, this is getting to be a bit much. Like, <laughs> And then, yeah, I re-listened on like sitting in my room, just kind of chill, relaxing for the night. And I was like, oh my God, this is actually way different. I really like it now.
0: Yeah. And when you think that this is... This is one of those songs that they would have played live for like 30, 40 minutes easily. Oh, yeah. Oh, I could for sure see. Like this this is an incredibly trimmed down version. For and the you album. you can feel <laughs> that
1: though, like playing it in the album, that, that song just has infinite room for more music. Like yeah. you could just stretch it out and alter it however you felt and it would just, it would work. 100%, 100%.
0: And as I mentioned in our last episode, this is the song that I've seen live. The Mars Volta performed this out this song when I saw them open for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And I was really excited that they played it. The problem was is that when I saw them live, it was like they'd paid the sound guy to crank everything up to 11. Mm. It was just, have you ever been to a concert where it's so loud, all you hear is like screaming in your ears and you have to cover your ears to actually hear the music? Yeah, I've been to a couple of those. <laughs> yeah. That's how Mars Volta played when I saw them. The Chili Peppers weren't like that at all, but Mars Volta, it was seriously like, all you could hear is like, your, your ears just could not process how loud it was. And all you heard was just like this, like screaming is the only way I could describe it. It's just funny because I would
1: have thought actually, like when you mentioned it, I would have thought that it was in response to the fact that they were opening, like he was opening for the Chili Peppers because I really dig the Chili Peppers. I love, really love their sound, but I know sometimes in concerts, they have that tendency to just maximize volume as much as possible Because that's the kind of like high energy, Mm -hmm. high intensity Mm -hmm. music they like to bring. To their concerts,
0: Yeah, that wasn't my takeaway at the time. I actually, um, yeah, I, I saw them on the Can't Stop tour. No, it wasn't Can't Stop. It would have been uh, D- the Danny California era tour, mm. which was their last one with John Frusciante, I guess before yeah. whatever they do next. Um, so in that wake, I was really happy to see them because he's one of my favorite guitarists. On the other hand, it's the only time I've really ever fallen asleep in a concert. Like, I just couldn't get into it. Um, I think it might have been the seats. It could have been the fact that I was just so, like, mentally exhausted having to sat through the Marsville to just, like blasting the shit out of my face but yeah but we'll talk about the chili peppers more another day yeah i was gonna say (laughs) i could go on a tangent right now about the chili peppers but we'll avoid let's 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 come back to the chili peppers another day
1: all right so this actually one thing i wanted to say like that first track astronomy Domine. that like when we talked about the rex and you talked about that like repetitive like chord essentially that it instantly made you think of Sid Barrett. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, t- I totally get it. It's like 10, 10 seconds into astronomy, yeah. they hit you with it. And it's just like, oh, it's so good.
0: <laughs> I'm looking forward to these moments when some of this stuff starts to click for both of us, where we start making references to music the other hasn't heard. And then we listen to it. And it's like, oh, when you said that, mm-hmm. now I get it.
1: <laughs> yeah, 100%. That was totally one moment for me. Like hit play on the album it was like, oh, pff. Right away, totally get it, totally on board.
0: (laughs) And that was just a happy accident. I was actually thinking about suggesting something, Sid Barrett, before we talked about that. It was just totally a happy accident. But yeah, uh, you've jumped back to the beginning, the first track, which is good, because we jumped way ahead to Interstellar (laughs) (laughs) Overdrive.
1: Yeah, that was my bad.
0: No, Whatever. I know for me this is this is one of the better known songs I'd say in their in the repertoire of Sid Barrett. Like this is the song that the band continued to play live, like until probably present day. It was Dave Gilmore and Rick Wright kept putting all of his songs on their greatest hits albums. They'd play at least one or two of his songs live for their live albums and stuff to keep royalties going to him and to make sure that like, you know, his legacy wasn't completely forgotten. Like so this is a song I've actually probably heard more than any other on the album. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I really like it. I, I wouldn't say it's the, a standout song for me on the album, but I think it's my favorite imagery in the lyrics where you see, like, you know, Neptune, Titan, stars can frighten. And i just like, just, I just think the words are really good in this song. Yeah,
1: see, like this is going to be kind of an album where it's going to be your like time to shine. Um, And it was just one of those fun things where like listening to it, nothing really like As I went through the tracks, I really liked it, actually. I really liked that psychedelic sound. And you can instantly tell how Pink Floyd kind of spearheaded that genre, like how they really changed it. And normally when I listen to an album, I'm like, oh, this sounds like this band or, you know, this, like the Rex instantly made me think of like The Killers and Cage the Elephant. What was fun about listening to this album by Pink Floyd was after I had listened to it and I went back to listening to some of my kind of go-to tracks, I started hearing their influence in music I've been listening to for years and I never would have, never would have known. And like, same as you said, like, I don't know if I'd call it a standout track, but I think it's a really strong opening track for the album. It kind of immediately pulled me in and it shows you kind of, you're going to get that really visual kind of high concept imagery. You're going to get this really fun kind of experimental psychedelic rock vibe kind of throughout. And I thought it, it really set the tone for everything to come.
0: So yeah, um, it's, I agree. It's a really strong opening track. Um, Just when, you know, the way that they opens with like the radio sounds and then the beeping and the big drums and the big guitar chords into the lyrics, I think it just flows really well into like, as a song, it, it builds from nothing into like what it is very quickly, but in a very satisfactory way.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I did a little digging and actually I guess the band hated that A lot of people called astronomy dominate space rock but i mean i totally get it that's absolutely what it is yeah only 10 15 seconds in immediately you have yeah that imagery of the vastness of space and these like psychedelic but like almost proto techno sounds mixed in that make you think like high concept technology i was just yeah i was really impressed with it
0: yeah it's a good song it's it's definitely a good song i can see why it's sort of like one of the ones that the guys chose to continue playing definitely not my favorite
1: song in the album the next one is "Oh Lucifer Sam."
0: Lucifer Sam, hands down, my favorite so- song on this album.
1: Yeah, it's this album was a bit weird for me in terms of like picking a favorite because, like, instrumentally, I think and this is jumping ahead just for that, but like instrumentally, I think "Take Up Thy Stethoscope" was actually my favorite. But like lyrically and production-wise, it's a really big toss-up for me between "Lucifer Sam," which is oh, it's just such a good solid track, yeah, and actually "Bike." And once we get to "Bike," I'll kind of go into more why that song really spoke to me but "Loose for sam is such a strong track it's right it's for sure the one like on re-listens more often than not i count myself jumping to that one instead of starting from the beginning yep yep me too it was the one that i
0: kept coming back to um you know as we talk about like this whole idea of like discovering music or rediscovering music this is probably the song from this album that would end up on a playlist of mine moving forward oh yeah absolutely
1: like, one of the first things I did was add it to my playlist on Spotify.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just an awesome riff. It feels like it should be in a spy movie. It's just, I don't know, this song really is is all there for me. And it's written about his, his cat. Like, it's just... <laughs> yeah,
1: that's one of the things I love the most about it. Like, just, oh man, this, this album was a wild ride. But yeah, coming out the gates on track two with a song about a cat that just happens to be like the strongest track. That's insane to me, and I love it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it just—I don't know. It just it, we could go on and on about like his ability as a songwriter, but you know, yeah, just this song for me feels like it should have been in a James Bond movie. Oh yeah. or you know, something of that nature, just some kind of spy movie. Just that, that I got spy
1: movie for sure right away. Yeah,
0: just the riff and stuff. It just feels like in a car, top down, Aston Martin or Jag or something like that, um, with that song playing to like open a spy movie. it Just like it just felt like a title tracked song for me um i don't know i don't want to you know hole too much on this song but uh yeah but it's, it'd be it's, so it's, easy too for sure yeah <laughs> it's uh it's easily my favorite song yeah
1: easily. i know and then see like matilda mother was i think probably it's good i mean it's this is probably for sure gonna be one of those bands where it's never not good. But I don't know. I just, yeah, Matilda Mother just didn't really, it just didn't really hit it for me. Yeah. I think part of that was it following how strong a reaction Lucifer Sam got out of me. But yeah, I just found Matilda Mother was the kind of eh song on this album. Yeah. Like I'd listen to it, but I don't think I'd ever seek it out. Yeah. The coolest
0: thing about it is that um, Rick Wright takes the lead vocal on it. It's not sung by Sid.
1: Yeah, I noticed that right away. That the vocals are different. I meant to ask you about it. And I didn't know if that was just... Some insane range, Sid Barrett had, or if it was a, like a secondary vocalist.
0: Yeah, no, it's um, it's Richard Wright, the keyboardist, um, who is huge on this album, which I didn't realize until I started listening to it over and over again. Like he does all the harmonies on this album. Like his contributions vocally to this album, I think have been at least in in all of like the stuff I've read or the the documentaries I've watched. Like his. His contribution to this album vocally is remarkably unappreciated
1: yeah i had never heard of him until you until we like i started reading up on the band and like when you mentioned it and yeah he's i don't know if like every track but he's on 90 percent of this album that's yeah. like working the harmony And it works really well together. Like him and Sid create an incredible harmony together.
0: Yeah, he's a really, really versatile vocalist because when Sid leaves and Dave comes in, like their vocals mesh really well together too. Rick has probably the most interesting story of being a member of this band um, in terms of his, you know, actually like whether or not he was a full member or they basically hired him as a musician to play on the tour. But he has a very sort of colored history with this band. But he's been there the whole time. I think there was only one album he wasn't part of. but, But yeah, it's just again it's it's the experience of listening to it on headphones that let me hear that just hearing it just sounded like maybe Sid was double tracked or something like that. And then listening to it because I recognize his voice, I realized how much he's all over this album and it just astonished me. Yeah.
1: And that was the thing with headphones. It's like, right. I didn't obviously pick his voice out right away, but as I kept listening through the album, I realized like, Oh my God, this like backup vocalist essentially is what I was thinking in my head. It's like, does a killer job of really complimenting Sid. And yeah, for sure. On headphones versus like just listening to it as background noise, essentially you would, I would never would have picked out that second voice. I, yeah, I probably would have just assumed it was a double track as well, yeah, especially like, given the natural, like, feel that, like, psychedelia. I figured double tracking wouldn't have been that crazy an idea. So it probably would have just seemed more natural to me. But yeah, he does a hell of a job with harmony.
0: Yeah. And his, like, keyboard stuff is just incredible. Like, for me, knowing more of their repertoire than perhaps you do, like, he really gives Pink Floyd, like, their emotional edge, I think. Um, he just the way he p- approaches the songs with his you know whether he's playing piano or organ or something else that he was playing he you know a keyboardist starting in the 60s and going up as an active musician until basically the mid 2000s when he passed away you know the the repertoire of instruments that he used over the years was incredible so it's sort of hard to sort of nail it down but the songs would be so much less without him there and i think the instrumental tracks more than anything else speak to that because if you're listening to something like Interstellar Overdrive on headphones and you imagine the song without keyboards in it, it's just nothing.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's just a bunch of people hitting random chords yeah. in a garage somewhere.
0: Yeah, he's the glue that like held it all together. Like he carries the melody. Like you know the the times that I've watched these guys perform live and stuff. There's quite often moments where you know Sid's not playing guitar at all, and it's just it's being held together by Rick and Roger on bass. And, and I think his, uh, his contributions to the band have not been understated, but vocally, I think they have been. And for me, it's just, he's the glue that holds it all together. The songs fall apart without him there.
1: Yeah, I could see that. And yeah, in the like three, four days of research I was doing, he really only ever came up as the keyboardist. And like, yeah, that is incredibly important, especially in Piper at the Gates of Dawn. I mean, if you were to take, I'm assuming he plays a bunch more instruments too in the background but if you were to take keyboard out of half of these tracks they're just random garbage thrown together (laughs) like it it really does add that cohesive element that turns each independent track into an album
0: again just one of the fun things about listening to it just for the experience instead of putting it on to
1: have music in the room yeah absolutely like i'm really glad i took the time to just sit down set aside like an hour to properly just give it time on each track and yeah i don't know i was just i was really impressed through and through this album just i i mean i should have expected it to be good but i wasn't expecting it to be as good for me as it was
0: yeah not to say that there aren't hard moments in it yeah absolutely there
1: is like you (laughs) said there was a couple moments where i was like okay this is getting hard to push through but
0: (laughs) (laughs) how many minutes are left Right? oh tens of minutes okay (laughs) yeah Flaming, the next album or next track. I'm all over the place tonight. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. I get it. I was planning to be ready two hours earlier and then it was just, it was always one more
1: thing I had forgotten
0: to do. Yeah, it's all good. I think, I think I'm finding with the stuff that I'm suggesting and I've listened to, it's hard for me to speak about it a lot because I don't have the reaction to it. Your stuff I could really easily comment on because it was something i never heard before so it was easy to talk about the discovery of the
1: album or the discovery of the song in this case it's like what can i say yeah fair enough i I kind (laughs) of cheated because the wrecks were still relatively new to me so i still kind of had that discovery kind of amazement to it But yeah like if you want for like flaming actually i really like i really like the imagery in flaming like the lyrics yeah i think flaming was the first song that i was like oh yeah this is a bunch of people on acid for <laughs> sure. Like like you always get that feeling when you're, when you're listening to like psychedelic rock. Yeah. But yeah, when, when flaming kicked in, I was like, Oh yeah, whatever these, like this group was on was some real good stuff. Yeah. And apparently it was really just him. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess, especially in the beginning, right. If he was the one kind of composing and writing all their songs, yeah. but yeah, like just like blazing in the foggy dew, sitting on a unicorn. Yeah. Like right away. You're like, okay. Like Ozzy might have been singing about pixies, but this guy's <laughs> singing about an entire like landscape in the sky where somebody yeah. might be watching him from.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. It's um my notes on it are it's probably my favorite lyric from the album. It just yeah, just the imagery's crazy. The word choice he has is crazy. I mean he uses the word eider down.
1: Yeah. I actually had to look it up to see if that's what he was saying. Because I didn't think it was.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just for me, like, and I'm talking out of my ass a little bit because I've never been to the UK. But my nan was from there. My my nan is Welsh. And so my mum and her spoke very, like, she was Welsh. And she was from, like, the old country, so to speak. You know, she moved here when she was 16 years old. So she was very formed in terms of her dialect at that point and stuff, but it was just like, the words on this album, the words that he chooses when he writes songs, just feel so much like the words that like my nana used, and that my mom carries on, because she was raised by her, so like, my mother uses words like, eiderdown, my mother says trousers, my mother says Chesterfield, and stuff, and like, hearing these words, like, and you know, knowing that candy in a current bond, but like Welsh cakes and stuff like that. Oh, it's like, I, I've, I've been, ex- right. <laughs> and like oh, man, tea after biscuits with, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and tea biscuits and you know, all of that's like, it's just, I'm the son of a first generation Canadian. So this listening to this just feels so much like listening to my Nana speak and listening to like my mother speak. And probably one of the things I was most excited to hear your feelings on are like, the the language used on this album does it like take you back to when you were in the UK
1: yeah um, absolutely i was going to say like i i totally understand where you're coming from right my perspective is a little different because i i spent four or five like of my most formative years bouncing around england and absolutely like i said when he said either down i was like did he really just there's no way right like i haven't heard that word in a decade and a half yeah because Whatever weird little just fun coincidence it was, I was the perfect age that to this day I use, out of everybody in my family, I use the most kind of British vernacular. Like I say proper this and proper that all the goddamn time. It drives my wife nuts. <laughs> and yeah, like I found this album to me was just like even more, maybe even more so than like Raisins in a current Bun. It's just, oh, run my heart. This album really kind of took me back to not not like specific memories but just that feeling of oh like yeah i remember that i remember walking down the streets of london to grab you know fish and chips and it was just so quintessentially british that i think that's a big reason why i loved the album so quickly is that you can tell how intentional his word choices are and every time he makes such an intentional choice of word it tends to be the like british slang for it or the british preferred and, like, just, yeah, throughout that, like, every single, like, track, I would hear something or I would hear, like, the way some of the sounds are mixed would remind me of, like, yeah, walking down the street, you know, in London or Manchester and hearing music as I was walking by. It really took me back. It was It was, I don't know if I've ever had that, like, kind of experience with an album short of two, three bands that are kind of solely in the UK, like, to this day. And it's, yeah, and it was just a really, really cool, it was a really kind of, like, moving moment for me. But yeah, Eiderdown got me. I just, like, the first time I heard it, I burst out laughing. I was like, there's no fucking way. I was like, if I said that word to anybody I know, they would just look at me like, you know, (laughs) I completely lost my mind. And the first thing I thought of was when we had talked about calling sofas Chesterfields. Right away, I was like, yeah. It's been a decade and a half since I've heard somebody say Eiderdown instead of Duvet. (laughs) But the minute I heard it, right away, I was like, oh, I know exactly what that is. Like, I can picture... You know, the gross eighties brown
0: <laughs> eider
1: down that we owned at one point covered in these bright yellow flowers because we've been given it second hand by somebody we knew in England.
0: Yeah. I can picture the one that at my nana's house that I would think of. You know, the 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 bed sheets that she had on her spare rooms. My nana was um she had MS and she was bedridden a lot of her remaining life after I was born so she had these like her house was very much like locked in the 60s almost from when my grandfather died and when she got too sick to do anything really so you know she still had like her her sheets and her and her furniture and stuff from the 60s like it was all still there like they had a big hi-fi record player in the living room still And it was there until she passed away and we got rid of it. Like it went out on the curb, but you know, it was this big cost thing it had it was stereo my mother was so proud she's like we got the stereo one and she was like That's really cool. i remember when it was they got it they got it as a christmas present or something or it's like it was purchased the family bought it for themselves as a christmas present or something she's like we came uh, we came in for christmas morning and it had a big bow on it so when i th- hear like words like eiderdown and stuff like i'm transported back to my nanny's house i like, can smell her house i can smell the way everything seemed kind of like dusty and kind of mildewy and stuff just, just because it wasn't a house that was really lived in yeah. she sort of you know she was in a wheelchair when she wasn't in bed um, so she was either in the kitchen or in her bedroom she had a housekeeper that was either in her bedroom or in the kitchen most of her house at that point just wasn't used anymore it just it was it was like going into almost like a museum it was just clean and it just had this smell so all of these words it's like transport me
1: there yeah. And one of, I guess one of the kind of cool things, like one of the things we kind of relate on just out of cosmic coincidence is that like that smell you're describing, I know it so personally because especially like the first few years we lived in, like, I can't remember where we lived first. I'll be honest. It was a long time ago, but mm-hmm. that like ever present smell of fresh, like, you know, that smell of fresh grass after rain, but it was, yeah. it always had that kind of, undercurrent of a little bit of mustiness because no matter what you did, there was never getting all of the moisture out. Like there was always just this perpetual slight dampness to everything. And yeah, Yeah. they're like mixed with the smell of smoke and industry and, you know, fast food trucks at, well at the time, fast food carts, there weren't really any trucks. And then, yeah, that like little mustiness and it just, that's such a iconic part of my experience living in England but yeah right away I was like oh I I like full body experience it's like I can picture walking down the street in London and like taking a big deep breath and it might not have been the cleanest there but it's it'll just always be a big part of who I am mm-hmm. and I hope that's something I never lose yeah and this yeah that this album just really really took me there that's so cool
0: I'll i I would say getting back to this song, my final thoughts on Flaming is it feels like the template for all of those joke psychedelic songs. It sounds like the Spinal Tap psychedelic song was molded after this. Like it just, it just feels like the psychedelic song that when they need one for a movie or a fake band, they copy this one.
1: Oh yeah. You know what? You're absolutely right. I didn't really, I knew it kind of had that familiarity to me, Mm -hmm. but I think that's because I listen to post-psychedelic a lot. Like it comes up a lot in like scon punk music, right? And I just assumed that whenever I had that kind of sense of familiarity, that's what it was from. But now that you mention it, absolutely. It is the template for like every kind of satirical psycho rock song I think I've ever really heard. And even some that aren't satirical. Like that's the kind of template you still find when you listen to like Iggy Pop used a lot of that or even like Velvet Underground. I felt a lot of like similarities there. I, I didn't really think how to put it into words until you mentioned it. But yeah, as soon as you sp- Spinal Tap,
0: absolutely. Yeah, uh, they had that. Listen to the flower. What the flower people say. Song. I'm just like I can one hundred percent see that. This is all over
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and even like I mentioned it kind of earlier in reference. um, Fairies wear boots by Black Sabbath. Yeah, I feel it. in I feel like flaming kind of in the background of that now as I play it out in my head. Well, Aussie was a big Beatles fan, so... Yeah, right, absolutely. And it was actually, I ended up having to Google kind of the Beatles active years versus like Pink Floyd's because there just was so much, not like crossover or mimicry, so much as just familiarities between the two that I knew. Um, and I thought it was really cool. And I mean, I guess they were active actually relatively around the same times. Yep. Um, yeah, well, Sgt. Pepper came out the same year. Yeah, and I think I the comparison, that, of course, I made in my head was that like, if the Beatles, like if Pink Floyd was the like punk equivalent, the Beatles were the pop punk equivalent. Like where Pink Floyd really leaned into that like yeah. psychedelic rock, the Beatles were a bit more kind of a mainstream yeah. sound to it almost. Yeah,
0: but uh, you know, it's like I think this album came out first because there is a a note on the Wikipedia page about the album that the band were invited to watch the Beatles record "Lovely Rita." Oh
1: wow! And then the following day, they recorded. The Scarecrow. (laughs) (laughs) And actually, yeah, like Pink Floyd felt like a precursor. Like I get like the album is like mid late sixties, but it feels very early sixties. So like, I I definitely understood where you had said like quite a few of the songs had been been written like a year to several years earlier. And it's, it's hard to describe, but you can almost feel that listening to it. Like you can tell they were kind of the like proto version of what was to come. Like they were, Already, kind of miles ahead of the curve.
0: Yeah, I think it would be interesting, and I wasn't able to find an interview or anything about it. But you know, if they were in the uh, in Abbey Road recording this album at the same time that Sgt. Pepper was being recorded, I wonder what kind of influence them being there at the same time the Beatles were had on what the Beatles were doing
1: at the time. Yeah, that would be but really cool. It's not something I could find an answer to, but uh. <laughs> yeah. So, like moving on, <laughs> this is where the album threw me my first curveball because i wasn't expecting to just suddenly hit complete essentially complete instrumental um but i yeah. really liked it like pow r i don't know how to pronounce it properly but pow r Pow R touch or talk h yeah right because yeah. it's the h is capitalized i didn't know i was like what no i'm just gonna butcher it i've really liked it yeah but is it like talk h or is it touch <laughs> i don't know
0: let's call yeah. power <laughs> um yeah
1: i really liked it actually um it was the first listen through like i got probably a full minute into the song like man when are these like vocals gonna kick in <laughs> Right at the beginning when they go <laughs> right <laughs> right and then yeah it just never comes i think there's a bit of vocal effect near the end of the song but damn it's good that's a really that's the kind of song i could probably throw on loop and just jam out to while well. I was bombing around that. I was doing whatever I wanted. Like, that was one thing I think too, I noticed with this album is I found each track kind of seamlessly leads to the next with a few intersections, like exceptions rather. Mm-hmm. The first time I listened to it, I straight up went from like Lucifer Sam into Matilda Mother without noticing at first until I picked up on the vocals being different. And then from Matilda Mother into Flaming, I didn't even notice the transition. Mm-hmm. I had just noticed the sound change. And it, it like blew my mind how like seamlessly. They just kind of flow when you hit play on the album.
0: Yeah, it really speaks to the uh, the production and the engineering they had on this album, you know, because I don't think, you know, these songs were not written together. They were recorded over a series of months. So it's not like they were even in the studio for, you know, like four weeks and they just like pounded it all out. And apparently the recording sessions were not that easy, according to the engineer and the producer. Apparently Sid was already at that point, pretty difficult to work with and not terribly responsive. And the other guys were sort of covering for him in a way where, mm. you know, the producer would make suggestions and they'd be like, okay, okay. And then it'd be Sid that just kind of didn't want to hear it. They were his songs. And yeah. he's already distant into that point.
1: Yeah. Like, right. That's definitely, that's a, that's a tale of success for the kind of like the backend production staff that you don't typically really hear about, or most people talk about. Mm-hmm. But I was really impressed with the work they did on this album because it just I could throw this whole album on loop and just I think three, four songs in my brain would just tune out and I wouldn't notice any of the transitions. Mm-hmm. Other than, like I said, like bike has such a str- like very distinctively kind of different flow to it. Oh, yeah. It's like there's the whole um, album and then bike
0: just punches you in the face and you're not really sure what's going right?
1: on. We'll get there. <laughs> huh. But yeah, power like there's I don't really know kind of a whole lot to say, but it's so good. It's so well mixed, like the instruments complement each other so well that it may be the first time I've ever listened to a four and a half minute long song that's just purely instrumental. And I kinda dug every minute of it. Like there wasn't a single point of it where I was like, okay, this is dragging. On my initial like listen through, it really was one of the, the strongest tracks for me.
0: Yeah. Um it's also often used in the opening of documentaries. The boom, boom boom shh, Oh my because... goodness.
1: Is that why it sounds so yeah, familiar? Yeah,
0: they record, there is a video of them performing that song live. And so, quite often, um, the documentaries I've seen and some of the official ones open, like it's a cold open with that song, them performing it live. So, it's definitely one that's not been buried at all. I'd say there's some of them that have been. This one, because there's a live performance of it, it actually stands out. And I would say this one, more than the other instrumentals on the album, or it speaks more to where they went with their instrumentals down the road. And it also speaks to where they went with their like musical interludes. Because they didn't have a ton of instrumental songs, but you know, they had echoes and they had other songs that were like twenty-five minutes long. And they'd have these massive instrumental sections in the middle of them this sounds more like those where it's big and then it just like scales way back just to a piano and then it comes back again it doesn't feel like a song it's more like a a composition
1: yeah um it almost feels like sitting in like almost like sitting in front of an orchestra just the way it it flows and it blends and then you get those little bits of like the piano interlude is like probably my favorite part of that song yeah it's just the way it like you said the way it kind of like fades into it and then the piano just takes over it's just it's a gorgeous piece of music
0: and again i think that's where i say that you know rick wright is like the emotion and the beauty of this band because you know as we move on to other more well-known songs of theirs the really big emotional stuff on their albums it's rick he wrote the music for it and then they built on top of it in a lot of cases.
1: That's really cool. Cause right. From my perspective, I was more focused on trying to be like, Oh, you know, where were their influences? Who was influenced by them? Um, just to try and get kind of a feel for that, that decade of music, that genre of music. So I didn't do a lot of like deep diving into like the mechanics of the band or their interpersonal relationships. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's really cool that, not such like rich really does carry so much of it.
0: Yeah, and I think it's cool that you took that view on it because it means that you and I are not researching or listening to these bands in the same way, and I think that's fun. Gives us something to talk about.
1: <laughs> yeah, Murray, they, they said that was that was just part of kind of the natural realization I had that I were normally when we talk about especially more modern bands. I pretty quickly identify kind of like, ooh, I know who they listened to growing up. I know what this sounds like. To have this, to finally listen to an album that was the precursor to so much of what I've consumed as a music listener. Like, it was just a really cool experience to then, when I started trying to find that information, being like, oh, wow, like they pioneered and completely revolutionized the face of music. And it's just a fact I never really, I guess, paid attention to or never truly knew. And yeah, once we're done, I'll be listening to all of them.
0: Well, if it doesn't, you know, cross your desk, so to
1: speak. Yeah, right? Like I said, like, my dad likes Pink Floyd, but it wasn't the kind of thing that he would listen to when we were around. Like Pink Floyd was always I'd catch my dad listening to a song here or there. He wasn't ever just sitting down and putting on like a Pink Floyd album. So I just never occurred to me to do the same. And then I started realizing that the, the like few songs my dad I remember my dad listening to, even if I don't know the names. After listening to this album I could immediately recognize like, oh I understand now why he started listening to this band and you know, how his how his tastes evolved into this preference and a lot of it comes from I'd say like Pink Floyd and probably Velvet Underground contribute to I don't know 85 90 percent of the music I grew up listening to and then there's take thy stethoscope <laughs> this is probably my least favorite song on the album I love I love the instrumental which is like two and a half minutes straight of the song um, this part of the reason I really like this song is that those like that first verse you know um dr dr i'm in bed dr dr aiken head that yep. kind of i'm gonna say lazy kind of rhyme scheme kind of instantly made me think of like cockney rhyming slang Oh yeah. and yeah right away it was again this song won me over because it pulled me into my memories and i was like okay yeah i remember hearing people genuinely talk like this like I remember hearing people have conversations that realistically make no goddamn sense (laughs) because it's just them rhyming random words and hoping the recipient has the attention span to like reverse engineer their sentence. (laughs) That's what this song felt like to me. And although yeah, realistically as a track, it's one of the weakest tracks on the album. It's just a part of me that absolutely loves it. It's again, so, so indicative of the time I spent in Europe and in England that it'll just, it's got a place in my heart now.
0: No, that's cool. Um, I look at it like lyric wise, there's an interview with Roger Waters who did 90%, 99% of their lyric writing after Sid was gone. And he talks about, you know, writing the song breathe from dark side of the moon, which goes breathe, breathe in the air. Don't be afraid to care. And he talks about how he learned from Sid that, you know, if you're songwriting and the lyrics are almost like puerile, almost like a child told you the story. He's like your first, instinct is to crumple it up and put it in the bin because you'd be laughed at but those are the special moments like that's the special stuff that like connects with people in like a in a way that like you know hearing a story from a child i remember mentioning this to a guy that i worked with years and years ago and he was like that makes sense because when a child reaches a certain age and they want to tell you a story they don't have a lot of vocabulary to lean on but if they stay on topic they will tell you their whole story and you'll understand and you'll Get why they're excited about it. When you think of a songwriting, turning that into songwriting, it's a really, really cool way of looking at it. It's the opposite of where everybody's trying to be like so deep and meaningful. This guy's like Doctor Doctor, and you know,
1: yeah. One of the last two lines of verse one, it's like gruel, ghoul, greasy spoon, used spoon, June Bloom. Like I actually wrote those down in my notes because I went back and listened to it a couple times and was like, man, I part of me is like, that's so. A nonsensical and simplistic, but also I kind of love that it is. And I think that's why, like you said, it's not, it's very clearly not somebody trying to be profound or intelligent. It's just somebody telling a story. Yeah. And for me personally, the way this story is told reminds me of just hearing background conversations in my youth. And that was right away, that was another one of those moments where I was like, oh, yeah, this is through and through a British album like but other than that like there's
0: something to be said too for writing writing lyrics based on the sound the word makes not necessarily how it relates or what it means
1: yeah definitely that's I think at least like what I heard in this album that's kind of a running theme of theirs is that you can tell like every every word choice is clearly intentional and the mindset behind those choices isn't always kind of as straightforward as it would seem sometimes it's about making it sound good instead of making it rhyme properly or kind of making sure that it it sounds smart mm-hmm. it just had to flow yeah I mean there's not really much else I could say about it I just I loved the <laughs> the rhyming scheme <laughs> in that song it was just so wild and to me goofy lyrics yeah absolutely and it's always nice to have at least one track I mean they had more than one track but it's always nice to have at least one track that's just kind of it's a solid track but it's just kind of goofy and fun mm-hmm. and I think it being like kind of dead center of the album was a really good way to keep the energy going throughout the album. Like when it hit power and it was all instrumental, I really liked it. Um, And then they follow it up with like, take up thy sescope. And it's again, very minimalist in like lyrics and vocals, but I found it was just enough that I was like, Oh yeah, I'll keep going. And I kind of did expect the following track to be more instrumental because you you can kind of almost see that's the, Mm -hmm. the like pattern or the flow they were going for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, I wasn't expecting it to be a nine and a half minute song, but
0: uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's incredible. You know, I don't want to jump back into initial overdrive too much. We've already talked about it quite a bit, but it's, yeah. it speaks to how they thought of that song. When you think of, they had to fit it on an album, like they had to fit it on record yeah. and they gave 10 minutes of an LP to that song. Yeah.
1: that That's and, kind of what I guess truly surprised me is that right up into that point, And actually the, I think the two longest strong like songs preceding that are astronomy and power at like just over four minutes long. And it just, it stunned me that they would dedicate so much time to interstellar. And I was gonna say the one last little thing about interstellar I had to get out. Is that like right around, I think it's around like the eight and a half minute marker might even be closer to nine minutes. There's this like section where like when you're listening on headphones, each beat shifts from left to right over and over again yes oh man like it started making me nauseous like I really was digging the song and then yeah I put my headphones on and it just like so disorienting but so (laughs) incredibly impactful because although nausea is not exactly one of the senses I want engaged by music it was incredible to me that they had produced a sound that could literally create a physiological response in my body that's really
0: cool Yeah, that was going to be kind of one of my sort of final thoughts, but I'll just mention it here since you brought it up, is the way that they used stereo. And it's very telling of the time where a lot of stuff previous to that was mono. Yeah. And you kind of get that in that sort of late 60s era where stereo was becoming a thing um, and becoming something that they could take advantage of on record. And they could release stereo versions of their songs and instead of just having everything be mono. Because when you listen to modern music, although the stereo is there and there's absolutely difference between left and right track, it's not as pronounced as... What people were doing back in the late '60s, like you know, there were times in this album where, like, it, you'd hear it in headphones, like you say, where not just in this song, but in other songs, where like the left track would just disappear, and then a couple of seconds later, it would come back. Yeah. And it's like, is this a choice? Was this a recording error? Like, like what is what just happened? So, or is it all just you know, like I say, is it a choice where they're just trying to screw with people? I don't know, but the the way they played with stereo in this album was jarring yeah but not in a negative way i wouldn't say all the time but it it absolutely removes the ability to like pop an earbud out and just kind of keep it in your in your mind like you just lose so much
1: yeah for sure like there was genuinely a solid two minutes three minutes total throughout this album where i thought my headphones were broken because it just drops All of a sudden, you just lose left or right. And like you said, whether it was intentional or not, I was was, was blown away by it. It's just such a cool concept. And it it makes me wish there was more modern bands playing with stereo that way. Because its ability to kind of instantly grab your focus and kind of produce a result in you, I think is a really cool little neat trick that they managed to pull off. And it was just that Interstellar was the one that really hit me where I was like, whoa, like what the hell's going on?
0: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I'd actually forgotten about that. And it was something I wanted to bring up. Okay. Moving on to the gnome. The gnome. <laughs> I think this is my favorite vocal performance of SIDS on this album. Like the way he rolls his R's and he like elongates the O's and gnome.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The gnome. <laughs> <laughs> he just like overemphasizes each word or enunciates each word. And it just, I don't know, it, it
1: works in this song. Yeah, so like even just the opening hook though. I want to tell you a story, but a little man, if I can. It yeah. was just like fun and almost uh, like Susian. And yeah, as the song carries on, you get that really fun kind of whimsical sense that he was singing the song in a way that really complemented what it's about. And realistically, as quite a lot of these things are on this album, is very clearly influenced by some sort of trip. And it must have been a wild one. Um, but yeah, I really loved the way he kind of played with his voice throughout this track to really emphasize not just the words, but the theme and the kind of the feelings of the song. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Again, this was kind of like another like middling track for me but it's fun. Yeah. This is another track that like, if I just wanted a kind of a, a jaunty fun tune to throw on, I would come back to the gnome for sure. It's,
0: it is a fun song and it tells a fun little story. I could see like a, uh, like a sixties cartoon music video for this. I
1: pictured the old, like was it 1982 Dungeons and Dragons cartoon Uh they made that like really awkward stilted subpar cartoon animation. I just had this like little like music video playing out of my head of like the Hobbit back when they first tried to create a Hobbit cartoon. And it was just to watch it now is mildly horrifying. <laughs> I don't think I've seen it. Oh, it's, Oh, it's a treat. You got to I'm sure YouTube's got to have videos of it now. If not the Hobbit, then the, um, they made a legend of Zelda cartoon. And I believe it was like mid eighties and, Oh, it's just it's so bad, but you kind of can't look away. I think it was legend of Zelda. They made it for the CDI. <laughs> it was like, 8889 I think and it's just the worst attempt at recreating like the GI Joe animation. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, it's it's wild and it was just like if you go watch a clip That's the kind of like style of picture I just had in my head for this song. And it just, it helped make it such a more fun. It's just a really fun song. I don't really have much else to say about that. I found a a little piece of trivia and I don't, I couldn't really fact check it, but I guess the kind of accepted reason, but like reasoning behind the song is that it's actually inspired by J.R. Tolkien. Like it actually, it genuinely is inspired by The Hobbit, but yeah, I couldn't find any like actual concrete theories on it because there was citation needed. Yeah, right, there was just as many people being like, oh no, it was just about LSD or DMT. It was just about being really messed up. <laughs> uh, chapter
0: 24, um, I the only real notes I have on this song are, I just really like the harmonies
1: on it. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm, I'm glad you at least had one note, because I, I genuinely didn't really have anything to say. I think it's a decent enough follow-up to the gnome. I think it kind of, it helps lead into the scarecrow well yeah and the harmonies on it are great um like the instrumentals are still pretty strong but it just doesn't stand out to me in any way yeah like lyrically or production wise there is just nothing spectacular about chapter 24 for me yeah it's just a song it's just it's a good enough song but again it's a song i would skip not out of spite but because there are better songs
0: yeah and you know and that's totally fair i think you said you felt that way about like matilda mother too and yeah um, so i
1: don't know it's fine it's fine. <laughs> let's just Yeah, right like if I was listening to the album and I didn't have like my phone right next to me, I would leave it on. I don't hate it by any means, but if I were like picking Pink Floyd like songs from this album to listen to, mm-hmm. I don't think I'd really land on it much. Like Yeah, me neither. Um so let's just move on to yeah. Scarecrow. <laughs>
0: To me, this song feels most like the work to come, like his later stuff. This feels a lot like the music that he managed to add to the next album and the couple of other singles that he recorded, even though they weren't released, Vegetable Man and Scream Thy Last Scream. And then his couple of solo albums, which I did go back and listen to as part of this um this sounds like those songs
1: yeah yeah unfortunately i didn't really i just didn't get around to really kind of diving into the later work to kind of see how it compares and i regret it i would i really wish i had because again like there's another you can almost it feels different it's a good song i like the scarecrow it's a much more poppy sound i found even compared to the gnome like mm. it still has the psychedelia but it's a bit more i don't know upbeat and kind of up tempo, and i like it it just doesn't to me, it doesn't sound like the rest of the album. the The influences are there, and it's it's similar enough. But it to me, it felt like the Scarecrow had a very distinctive yeah. kind of like oh, what what about if we try it slightly off? Like, what if we try it this way instead? Yeah, um, and it's cool to know that. Yeah, that then followed up, and you see more of it kind of in their their later works. Hmm. But I mean, same thing. Like lyrically, pretty straightforward. I mean, it's a short song; yeah. you're not going to fit a whole lot in there. It feels, and it's mostly instrumental. Yeah, and this one this one like specifically feels like it is a story either from Sid's childhood or just that very childlike way of storytelling. And it's it's a cute little song and Mm -hmm. I mean it's just it's literally somebody just singing about a scarecrow. Like it's not even super trippy or vivid. It just it's just about a scarecrow. And the like I think at the very end in like the third verse, he kind of ties it in. I think he says because life's not unkind. He doesn't mind. Yeah. And that's like, that's really the only line I remember from the song that kind of ties it into being relatable for adulthood and growing up. Mm-hmm. The rest of it is just to me, it just honestly sound like a kid talking about a scarecrow. Yeah, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. It just it very distinctly felt different to me. Yeah. And it might even just be that kind of that simplicity yeah. to it. Yeah, I would agree with that. And then bike. And then bike. <laughs> so bike's a wild ride when you finally, like you've gone, What by that point, it's 40 minutes into this album and then bike drops. And holy shit, <laughs> I love it as a closing song. I think it's a really, to me, it kind of felt like the, like the natural conclusion almost of the album. Like you feel, you get a little bit of kind of everything you've had a taste of up to that point. Mm-hmm. But for me, I will say bike has to be my favorite song. And it's it's got such a ska feel to it, and I it's so before ska was ever even a thought in someone's head. Yeah, it's it was wild to me when it kicked on. I genuinely had like for a second thought I had accidentally skipped past a song, like hit next or ended up on a different album <laughs> because it's so similar to the kind of ska that like Madness was playing yep. in '95 to 2000. And I love it. I love it so much that like mixture of like proto ska and psychedelia and the the musicality of it it just there wasn't bite there wasn't a moment of bike i didn't love and whether it was me grooving out to kind of the music or me laughing at shit like i've got a cloak it's a bit of a joke to tear up the front it's red and black i've had it for months (laughs) if you think it could look good then i guess it should yeah like just absolute nonsense but in the the best possible way Cause yeah, like this song he talks about like this cloak, but also this bike. Um, and then at some point he talks about gingerbread men. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Like there are men, there are men, lots of gingerbread men. That's it. Just take a couple if you if you wish they're on the dish I found <laughs> like, and the way he sings, take a couple if you wish they're on the dish, it's almost like he forgot the word and they didn't bother to go back and do another take.
1: Yeah. Right. Like there's such a definitive pause between like, he says, take a couple, if you wish like hard stop, they're on the dish. Yeah, And you're like, they're on the dish. <laughs> what the fuck just happened? Like, yeah. I know it shouldn't <laughs> be my favorite song because I know, like, technically speaking, it's probably one of the weakest tracks. But goddamn, did I love it so much! It's it's the one that that remains. It's the
0: one that people talk about. I got to be honest. Of all the stuff that I've seen, the interviews, the documentaries, everything, bike is never missed. Yeah,
1: and I totally get that. Like, honestly, two three weeks from now, when we've you know we've done another handful of bands and Pink Floyd's not on my mind anymore. I know for a fact every now and then I'm gonna catch myself singing this song yeah. and it's not gonna make sense and it's not gonna have anything to do with like nothing's going to trigger it. But I'm just gonna be sitting there at some point and be like, I know a mouse and he's got or what is it? I have a I know a mouse and he hasn't got a house. I don't know why I call him Gerald. I don't know why. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. Like it's getting rather
0: old yeah, it's just the
1: craziest shit and I I love it. I love that given that they're so deeply entrenched in psychedelia and this like LSD imagery and this new sound they were pioneering to just this song is so, so iconically drug fueled. (laughs) Like it has to be. There's no other, there's no other universe or no other explanation I can possibly think of that would justify this song. And it just, I just loved it. There was just something, this was the song that got me like, it's just so much fun and it just... The first time you listen to it, you don't know what the hell to expect. And you're going to get something way weirder than you ever could have possibly expected. Even having listened to the whole album already. Mm -hmm. Every time a new verse started, I was like, what's what's it going to be now?
0: (laughs) Bike is the song where if you heard the entire album through once, it's the song you'd remember.
1: Oh, absolutely. Like I, I listened to it, say three or four times, like solidly listened to it. And yeah, there was a couple days between my first and second listen, and absolutely bike was the song that was on my head for those two days. And it just it just has that sometimes songs just kind of have that magic where yeah. they'll just they just stick with you. And for me that was bike. It just even aside from the like proto ska feel to it that I really loved, mm-hmm. it just it just works. It's just it's a song that's so much better than it has any right to be.
0: Yeah. It's just so catchy. I think Bike is a song for me and probably other people were like, if he had written no other songs and that was it, he would still be remembered. Yeah. It's so weird. And it's just such a near one. Yeah.
1: To me, like Bike, if no other song on that album could, Bike to me is the one song that could absolutely live on as a single. It could have just been dropped. If Sid had never formed a band, if he had just dropped it as an indie label, that song that would be his one hit wonder off this album for sure it's just so yeah it's just catchy and fun and inviting like you don't feel like you have to understand how the artist is feeling or the message they're trying to convey you can just kind of hop on and enjoy the ride yep but in the but
0: through the lyric as well he's in he's basically talking about his world right you're the kind of girl that fits in with my world I'll give you everything, anything, if you want thing. And then he just goes, like, each verse is like him talking about things in his world.
1: Yeah, like, in that too, it is it is endearingly honest, I guess. Like, it's, yeah, it's just truly about, you know, say, like, a boy just being vulnerable and opening himself up to a girl and hoping it's reciprocated and not trying to impress you with flashy, you know, mind-boggling things. It's just someone singing about the shit he has and the things he loves. And it's just, it's super endearing. Yeah. In a bike that he borrowed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some things he doesn't even own. <laughs> yeah.
0: And then at the end, he says like, um, you know, I've got a room of musical tunes. The song ends and then you end up in that second half of the song, which is just like this musical, like a noise caterwaul, which really feels like things Pink Floyd continued on. Like this is the first time we hear clocks in a Pink Floyd record. Um, and just like, various musical things, noise and stuff. It felt very much like the kind of stuff that they would either stick as musical experience tracks on their later albums or like the little snippets they put in between songs and stuff on later albums. And that is just, it's the the first taste of that. Yeah.
1: I've seen that too. Um, I was going to say like, for me, not having like a massive kind of knowledge of Pink Floyd, I've obviously heard you know, the best hits, I've heard them here or there. That too, I definitely agree that at the end, there, like the some rhyme, some Ching, most of them are clockwork. Um, You really do like it felt this was the one track I think really where it hit me that this is Pink Floyd, like that last whatever it is, say 30, 40 seconds was what I when I think Pink Floyd in my head, that's the sound I hear. And it was really cool that they found that on their first album. Cause I wasn't really expecting it, especially having been through the whole album. Yeah. Then all of a sudden at the end, it just hits you. And like, as someone who just doesn't really listen to much Pink Floyd right away, I was like, Oh yeah, this is definitely Pink Floyd. Like this is the Pink Floyd. I know really excited to start kind of diving into more and seeing that progression happen. But yeah, it just, I know the song just totally won me over. I loved it. (laughs) It's
0: a strong end, strong end to a good album.
1: And that too, like the whole album, even the songs I was kind of eh about, this is such a good album one of it's easily top five of my favorite albums I've listened to now. Like it's just, it's such a solid piece of work.
0: Yeah. It definitely holds up even in like rolling stone lists and stuff, or, you know, it's, it's usually there somewhere. Yeah. I'm excited to listen to more now. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I encourage you to do so. Um, so we have, I don't, uh, I think those were kind of your final thoughts, but did you have anything else you wanted to mention?
1: Um, no, not really. Like you said, that was kind of my final thoughts. Like, I'm really glad you suggested it. Um, I'm really glad, like, I I knew Pink Floyd was going to be one of those ones that came up. Um, and I'm really glad we kind of got there early. Like, I wasn't expecting to enjoy it as much as I did, but I absolutely loved it. And I think this album's an incredible first album. And it makes me excited to hear more of their stuff. And Pink Floyd has always been one of those, hey, I'm sure they're good, but I hear about them all the goddamn time. Like, how overrated are they at this point? And I Mm -hmm. gotta say, I don't feel like they are. Like, I know I'm (laughs) gonna hit some albums and some tracks that I just don't like. There's always gonna be something that doesn't work for me. Mm -hmm. But I'm very excited to just find the rest of the stuff that I really do like.
0: Yeah, and there's certainly a lot.
1: I think they have like 13 albums or something like that. Yeah, I know. I couldn't believe it. I was like, just scrolling through Spotify, like, okay, we got a lot of work ahead
0: of us. (laughs) It's a long journey. But uh, we'll get there. But yeah, for me, it was uh, largely the same. You know, even though I'd heard this album before, even though I liked some of it, even though I'd spent hours reading about this man and reading about the band at this time and watching documentary movies and clips and, you know, old interviews and stuff like that's just kind of who I am as a music fan when I find a band I really like, Um, especially if I'm going through a phase. (laughs) Yeah. Um, um i hadn't given this album the proper listen that uh i should have when i bought it and uh for me there if there was lots to discover on this album there was lots of songs that i hadn't listened to more than a couple of times and the couple of times it was probably in the car with you know my family and uh So it wasn't like a situation where I could like turn it up and enjoy it. It was just like, I bought an album and I put it on and (laughs) the people that were in the car with me at the time were kind enough not to ask me to turn it off. (laughs) Fair enough. But uh, what do you got queued up for us
1: for next week? Okay. So you, you got me with the, you know, such a strongly British band and there's this new one I've been listening to. Um, still across the pond. It's this, it's um, it's a three-person band. I know for a fact the two leads are women, and I think the drummer. I think the drummer a man, but I couldn't find a whole lot of information on him. But it's a band called Bones UK. Okay, um, they're out of Camden Town in London. Okay, um, they just actually last year dropped their first album, self-titled. It's just called Bones UK. They had put out a couple singles before, but this was a band that was recommended to me by a friend because they they did a cover of David Bowie's "I'm Afraid of Americans." And they're like a they're very they're a very industrial rock sound. Oh yeah. And when I listened to I'm Afraid of Americans, it really struck me how it's so weird to say, but like they sounded more like Nine Inch Nails when they recorded that song than Nine Inch Nails that sounded when they recorded it with Bowie. Um and they just they really hit me. Like they've got really, really powerful instrumentals and the vocals are incredible. Um so yeah, just the one album, it's 13 tracks, though I did double check. I didn't pick another EP. Um, (laughs) but yeah, like I'm really excited to get into them. I like, I really like that unique blend. It's really nice to see it's so distinctly British, like it's industrial, which is a very, which was a very American concept 10, 15 years ago. Um, very heavily LA sound. Um, and it was really cool to kind of hear that filtered through a, you know, British or European kind of, um, mentality. And I just, yeah, I don't know. They really struck me like pretty much every song on the album I love. Like it was one of those, I listened to one and I was just like, boom. I put that album on repeat so many times.
0: I'm here for it. Cool. So yeah, next week, 2019's Bones UK self-titled album. Yeah, I'm so excited. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Well, we got through another episode. We did it.
1: (laughs) And I found a new new (laughs) band I love. Yay.
0: (laughs) I'm excited to get into the next one.
1: Well, thank you very much for the trip down the old dirt road i should have taken 10 20 years ago (laughs) and thanks for everybody for stopping in to listen
0: yeah thanks uh thanks for listening and hopefully we will get our twitter sorted out soon oh i
1: know i was so mad (laughs) i was like so jazzed to be like oh yeah i get to do our first like advertised post it was just like nope
0: (laughs) (laughs) well we'll get it sorted out instagram is working life number two labyrinth you'll hear it in the outro so thanks for listening and uh we will catch you next week see ya bye Thanks for listening to Life to Labyrinth podcast. Theme music by Devin Rose. Find Devin on Bandcamp or any streaming service. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Life2Labyrinth.